This is Charlene Cotter from the Office of Evangelization and Catechesis for the Archdiocese of Galveston, Houston. Welcome to In God's Image radio program, designed to focus on the inclusion of persons with disabilities and their families in the full life of the church. A rapid increase in suicide in our time is cause for alarm among those of us working in the church and, of course, for family members and other survivors of this tragedy. The depths of depression can rob a person of his or her desire to live. Over 90% of all deaths by suicide are a result of depression, implying a person is not in their right mind and therefore not capable of making a rational and moral decision. With the knowledge now available about suicide, about what precipitates the act itself and also the act's tragic effect on survivors, the church does take a much more compassionate stance on this issue than it has in the past. While God is the giver of life, and we are obliged to accept life gratefully and preserve it, there are occasions when a person resorts to this path as an only escape from deep psychological pain. That's from the Catechism, um, paragraph 2280-82. With me today is a woman who loves someone with mental illness. She refers to that individual as Milo, and Milo stands for my mentally ill loved one. I've invited her back because we want to talk today about this important and alarming topic of suicide that's um, unfortunately probably at epidemic proportions in our world. Uh, so I, I just ask you, please, Sandy, if you can tell us a little bit about the information you have learned by your years now of being associated, especially with the National Alliance on Mental Illness, uh, Greater Houston Chapter, and in serving others in this very um, delicate area of life and death. Thank you so much for inviting me back, Charlene. Um, what I do know about um, suicide is that it is a taboo topic, and so many of us are afraid to talk about it, um, and especially afraid to talk about it with someone we know that is suffering from deep depression. Um, there, that's a myth, actually. Um, when we know that someone is that deeply depressed and feeling so helpless and hopeless that they may be thinking about it, and it is not a bad thing to ask them, are you thinking about suicide? One, um, if they are, maybe you can suggest they get help, go to the doctor, get medicines, but also if they elaborate on their plans. Um, I had it explained to me um, that it was almost like letting air out of an overly inflated balloon, that the actual talking about it helped relieve some of the built-up anxiety within the person. So um, as difficult as it may be, if you have someone that you know is feeling very depressed, um, and has been talking, maybe even said, I wish I wasn't here or the world would be better off without me, that maybe it's time to have that conversation because when we do have those conversations, those are opportunities for us to perhaps do something that can help that individual um, overcome those horribly hopeless, desperate feelings. Right. I think that's the other thing with, the, with um, this topic is that there are... Um, a lot of myths out there and a lot of uh, education that needs to be uh, shared. Uh, what about warning signs? Is there generally some typical warning signs that people can 
be aware of. Yes, there are some warning signs. Some of them are they might be getting together with old friends that they haven't seen or be giving things away. Um, they may be talking about suicide. They may be, um, <coughs> excuse me, making comments about being hopeless or helpless. Um, or on the other, other hand, they may withdraw from friends and uh, community. Sometimes there's reckless uh, spending patterns that happen where they think they go out and go on a binge or buy someone something and then they know they're not going to be around. Um, giving away prized possessions. So there are some signs, but for many of us, there may not be. Um, we may not have seen them. They're very quiet about it. Um, but if that's atypical, then having someone with, with withdraw like that may be a sign that they are feeling very depressed and may be thinking about suicide. Um, some young people actually will look on the Internet. The Internet's a huge source. Mm -hmm. And so um, knowing where your kids, if you've got young people, because suicide is rising in, uh, you know, children as young as 13 and 14 years old. So uh, keeping track of some of the sites that they're visiting might be a good idea as a parent for someone to look for. Right. I would think especially in this time that we live in with social media and just technology and all the devices so many of us do live by that parents really would want to monitor closely the sites that they're especially if they're younger and under, under 18, so to speak, mm -hmm. and still under the, under the, in their home, mm -hmm. uh, where they do spend their time, uh, and as well as who they spend their time with, as you mentioned, of course. And what about um, risk factors in particular? Because I'm sure there's some of those that we might want to know today. Absolutely, yes. Um, there are certain events and circumstances. Um, the death of a loved one, a grandparent, or a parent, or a friend, um, divorce sometimes causes that. Again, Hurricane Harvey, that kind of Katrina. Um, people who have um, suffered great loss in one way or another. Um, and, of course, many times, and it's very difficult with our first responders in military when you have uh, post-traumatic stress where they have gone through this incredible emotional upheaval in their lives. Um, that is a high risk. Uh, there's a high risk there. Um Physical illnesses, chronic physical illnesses, um, and an exposure of, to suicidal behavior in others, um, the copycat kind of thing, especially, and that's more with our younger people. And then um, we have found, they found that a history of suicide in the family can be an indicator. Where, where do you suggest families go for help and, um, and, and even for hope? Well, um, first of all, if it's an, you know, Suicide is kind of a, most people with suicide, as you mentioned, suffer from depression. Depression is a mental illness, but it is a brain disorder. It is not a, so there's chemical imbalance going on. So medical professionals would be the first ones I'd go to. Their doctor, a pediatrician, um, psychiatrist, or so, so, um, psychologist um, would be a start. But for me, um, I ended up with the National Alliance on Mental Illness, or also there's the suicide websites um, that you can go to, because education is the best thing you can do for yourself in order to be prepared to learn about it and to be proactive. Um, so getting on the Internet, looking at the suicide prevention, um, and there are classes that um, are given, too, that are free from different organizations. That's what I would suggest. 
Thank you. And, you know, I, I just looked on my own, speaking of devices, my, on my own cell phone, because I remember a while back um, when I was starting myself to try and learn more about this area of need in the world, and I said, you know, and you mentioned, sometimes people think not to ask someone, mm-hmm. but yet everything we learn tells us, yes, you should ask someone if they're feeling suicidal, mm-hmm. if you have that inclination, right? But then I thought to myself, well, I think the reason a lot of us don't feel comfortable doing that is because if I ask you and you say yes, I'm not prepared to know what to say or do for you next if you if your answer might be positive or affirmative. Mm-hmm. So what I did, and I guess I just encourage others to do, is I actually went to my phone at that time and place when I had this kind of revelation for myself, and I put in my phone this note. So if I ever ask someone that question mm-hmm. and they said yes, I have this little sentence in my phone that says, if you or someone you know is in crisis, call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255. Or, and I like this even better, text TALK, T-A-L-K, to 741-741. Or lastly, or visit speakingofsuicide.com. For additional resources. I just thought just having something like this, these few simple resources in my phone, made me, would make me feel more comfortable asking the question. Mm-hmm. That is brilliant to have that in your phone. That is, and that is one of the things when we are, when, when we are experiencing these in our lives, when we join support groups that are offered by NAMI or some of these different organizations, we learn from each other. It is the wisdom of the group that helps us learn how to deal with these situations in our lives. But the hardest thing to do is that is taking that first step because of stigma and shame. A lot of times we don't want to confront this or be public about it. So um, uh, having something like that, just sitting here with you, having you done that, I'm now going to put that on my cell phone. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, I know earlier we talked, Sandy, um, and I think before we got on air here, about just the, what sometimes people hear from the church, and maybe sometimes that is said in air as well. Do you want to share with me about that? Yes. We talk? You know, we are all well-intentioned people, and when someone is hurting, we're trying to comfort each other, but sometimes we don't realize that our words of comfort may not necessarily comfort those we want to share with. Um, one instance I have uh, was with a friend whose uh, son uh, died by suicide, and a, a woman came up to her and said, but it's okay, he'll at least be in purgatory for the rest of his life. And she was very hurt by that. Um, and I don't believe that is, you know, she meant it to be comforting, that he wasn't going to hell, as many of us might have learned years ago. But um, that wasn't comforting, that she would not be with him in heaven. So... Um, it, and the church teaching is very, it's a very difficult issue, but I, what you've read from the Catholic bishops makes a difference. Right. And I'm going to continue with the next uh, paragraph out of the catechism. I referenced the 2280 to 82 earlier, but the next one, which is paragraph 2283 from the catechism states, we should not despair of the eternal salvation of persons who have taken their own lives by ways known to him alone. God can provide the opportunity for salutary repentance. The church prays for persons who have taken their own lives. And we look up the word salutary and we realize and learn that it means even after death. So God has that, of course, 
ability to find and know that person's heart in repentance and have mercy on that soul, and we place them in the you know ever-loving care of God. Because I think God knows this is an act of desperation. It, suicide is not an act of anger or uh, getting back at someone. It is an act of desperation. A person is in such emotional pain and feeling so helpless and hopeless, it seems to be the only out they have. It's not necessarily that they want to do it, but they just need relief. And so um, God knows that. And I, knowing about salutary repentance, I hope, will be helpful to those who have had loved ones who have um, ended their life with, by suicide. Thank you, Ken. I want to end with a very brief story that maybe will um, inspire us. It's, uh, it goes like this. The four candles burned slowly. Their ambience was so soft you could hear them speak. The first candle said, I am peace, but these days nobody wants to keep me lit. Then peace's flame slowly diminished and went out completely. The second candle said, I am faith, but these days I am no longer indispensable. Then faith's flame slowly diminished and went out completely. The third candle spoke sadly, I am love, and I haven't the strength to stay lit any longer. People put me aside and don't understand my importance. They even forget to love those who are nearest to them. Why, suddenly, and waiting no longer, love went out completely. Suddenly, a child entered the room and saw the three candles were no longer burning. He began to cry. Why are you not burning? You are supposed to stay lit until the end. Then the fourth candle spoke gently to the little boy. Don't be afraid, for I am hope. And while I burn, we can relight the other candles. With shining eyes, the child took the candle of hope and lit the other three candles. Never let the flame of hope go out. With hope in your life, no matter how bad things may be, peace, faith, and love may shine brightly once again. I hope you were blessed by listening to In God's Image today. I welcome your questions and comments. Please send them to ingodsimage at archgh.org. That's ingodsimage at archgh.org. This is Charlene Katra asking God to bless us with loving and generous hearts.